0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. It's nice to be to be back here on a Monday night. I was uh, I was thinking that uh, one of the reasons that I I don't often teach on a Monday night here is that it's sort of past my bedtime. <laughs> you know, I have, I have young children and who go to bed at around seven, 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 15. And it's a little bit embarrassing. More often than not, not, I laying down with them and reading and it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's nice to be out with the adults and, you know, um, and hope I, uh, I'm happy to, happy to be here and, and, and offer some some words that I hope will be helpful about meditation practice and Dharma practice um, as, as, a, as a meditation teacher as a Dharma teacher, part of what I do is teach retreats um, which I think probably a lot of you are familiar with what meditation retreats are um, but f- but for those of you who aren't they are an opportunity to do um, to, to To sort of leave our everyday life and go somewhere and do um, sort of meditation all day, you know and so and so they, it might be a one- day retreat, or if it's a residential retreat, you know two or three days or sometimes a week or a few weeks. So um, I am just back from our retreat center. Uh, IRC in Santa Cruz, uh, where we had a four-night retreat, five-day retreat, um, and, and the topic of the retreat was, or the, the title of the retreat was, um, "Sex, Race, Money, Dharma." <laughs> so, um, I thought I'd just share a little bit about 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 you know what. What we did and the topics, and why you know, what, why, everything, um, but first, in order to, to to kind of set the context for that, I thought to talk a little bit about um, a way of thinking about practice, a way of thinking about meditation practice and Dharma practice, um, and the line that that came to me um, uh, which is, which is from the Japanese Buddhist tradition, and one of the great masters of the 20th century, Sawaki, Sawaki Kodo Roshi, and one of his famous practice nuggets was, um, uh, gain is delusion and loss is enlightenment. Gain is delusion. And loss is enlightenment. And so, what does that mean? What is that, you know? Um, I think, in our ordinary way of thinking, gain is good. And gain often is good. And um, many, maybe most of the things we do, we do in order to gain something or get something. Um, and, you know, and, and, and that's a good thing. And that's sort of, you know, um, I'm thinking about um, l- finally really buckling down and learning Japanese. And uh, there's a bunch of family reasons why my wife is Japanese and talk to her family and, and my kids speak Japanese. And I don't like that they <laughs> have secrets. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> And I, I recently turned 40 and I kind of feel like for my brain it would be good to do this thing. So, you know, to enroll in a language class, a Japanese class, yeah, I hope to gain skill and proficiency and, um, you know, gain, gain this thing that I want to learn, Japanese. And meditation too. There's a way that there are benefits. You know, there are um, clearly you know things we gain from from meditation. Um, maybe maybe we're looking for some uh, calmness, more to be more calm, to, um, a more settled system calm mind, calm heart, it's a beautiful thing. And it's, you know, one of the great benefits of meditation. Um, And those benefits notwithstanding, I think this idea, gain is delusion and loss is enlightenment, is speaking to maybe the... um, I don't know if it's correct to say the deeper meaning of meditation, but that it's actually not so much about gaining something or learning something or um, getting some kind of particular benefit in the world, but but maybe more so about letting go, you know? About um, somehow returning to a simpler way of being. Um, Letting go, giving back, relinquishing. This is kind of the feeling of meditation. That um, so much so that maybe we could say that to practice meditation wholeheartedly um, means doing less rather than doing more. You know, and I think this is something that's very unusual for our, especially in this culture, this age. And we, you know, um, we focus a lot on doing, but what is it to do less and less and less? And something about that simplicity is getting very close to the true meaning of meditation. Um, So when I was reflecting on this up in San Francisco, it was raining, and it sounds like maybe it's raining now, I'm not sure. Um, this, is a, this is a poem called The, the Sound, Sound of Raindrops. Without extra mind that grasps them, the jewel-like raindrops dripping from the eaves are myself. without extra mind, without extra mind that grasps them. The jewel-like raindrops dripping from the eaves are myself. Um, I don't know if I need to say too much about that, but um, the movement of meditation maybe is to um, discover what it is to be with our experience without extra mind without extra mind that grasps what is it to be with you know it might be the sound of, of the rain it might be the sound of the door opening and the rustling of clothes it might be um some physical discomfort, knee pain, back pain. It might be some emotional uh, state, some, some mind state. What is it to be with that in its utter simplicity, without anything extra, without any movement of grasping it, pushing it away, and then it it's nothing other than myself, you know? It's like, um, um, I mean, in in this way, it's it's almost as if each moment, um, regardless of the content of the moment, independent of the content of the moment, is myself, you know? and um, the other line that I, I uh, often associate with this feeling is um, the idea that um, the essence of experience, the heart of experience um, is a kind of perfection. You know, that there's something at the heart of all experience that is so complete, that it's so perfectly itself, that nothing needs to be fixed, nothing needs to be improved. One of my teachers always says, don't tinker. You know, <laughs> and we, we, we love to tinker. We love to kind of, you know, the, what is it to sense into that uh, perfection at the heart of things and um i think this doesn't necessarily have to be anything particularly special particularly mystical i think it's a it's a feeling that um a kind of a fundamental okayness that is you know is a very common common thing. We usually miss it because we're so focused on what's uh, not right or what uh, what could be improved. Um, so and then so if we if we if we sort of in a way in in meditation adopt this. Attitude of sort of contentment, you know, this feeling of things are okay, thing, you know, good enough, you know, content, then we can um, begin to notice all the ways that actually, you know what, things aren't okay, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, we begin to notice the places of clinging, we begin to notice the places of resistance. Um, and and this is very very helpful. Um, it's if if we could say that maybe the essence of Dharma practice is non-clinging, not to cling. Then um, rather than approaching non-clinging directly and say, okay, right now I'm going to not cling. <laughs> Okay, keep not clinging, keeping not clinging. It's actually much more helpful to um, become sensitive and interested and curious in all the ways that I do cling. And all the ways that I do somehow resist what's happening. All the ways that, um, and and, and the classic um, markers of that resistance are fear and anger. You know, so especially when fear and anger arise these are, this is where we practice this is where we put our cushion down and get really interested and without judgment, without anything just to get curious what's happening, what is this about what is, you know could this uh, sense of struggle be a sign that something is not being accepted something is not being open to Um, And and so part of the movement in practice is developing the ability or the capacity to sit still with what is difficult. You know, um, Joko Beck, who is a a great Zen teacher, um, who sends Passed away, but she was from the Zen Center of San Diego. She talked about this uh, picture of practice as building a bigger container. You know, so um, the container is our body when we sit, but more than our body, the container is our practice. And so the Buddha said, if if you um, put a little bit of dye in a, in a glass, in a cup, you know, very quickly that dye colors the water, right? It turns the water red, the dye is red. If you put the same, same exact drop of dye in the ocean, you know, bigger container, right? Much bigger container. And so it totally changes, it's the same thing. But the context, the the spaciousness, the container is so different. So maybe one picture of practice is we are building, um, allowing the container of our heart, the container of our mind to grow, to expand, to be able to be with um, more and more the capacity to be with what we couldn't be with before, what we would distract ourselves, we would, uh, you know, ignore it, turn it, you know, uh, uh, just not be able to tolerate it. But but through practice, through this very simple um, willingness to be still with what arises, we're, we're, we're developing this capacity to be with, you know, Anything everything um, and and what we us might discover is how freeing that that can be how empowering that is to realize that whatever arises in in our experience in our heart we don't need to be afraid of it we can we can be with it we can hold it we can meet it with uh, kindness we can meet it with awareness and and this sense that mindfulness practice awareness somehow blesses what it is aware of somehow there 's some some magic tr- some transformation that just in that um, willingness to be present for ourselves to be to be present with our experience um, so that 's that's a little bit of the context that um, I didn't mean to go on so long but that's a little bit of the context for the (laughs) for these topics and um, the other thing that I just wanted to say again about this way of understanding practice is that um, the idea is that what happens on our cushion um, doesn't stay you know it's you know that thing, what happens in Vegas? Stays in Vegas? <laughs> what happens on the cushion shouldn't just stay on the cushion. We hope it doesn't just stay on the cushion. And the idea is the peace, the understanding, the insight um, s- infuses all these other areas of our life. And so that's the, that's the rationale behind um, bringing in these topics of Money, uh, sex and sexuality, and race, as 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 a- as big a- areas of our life, big parts of our life, which often aren't talked about so much, and especially in spiritual communities. Um, not only are they aspects of our of our life and our humanity. But for for many of us, there are areas of a lot of suffering, a lot of unexamined, um, uh, our relationship to, to money, our relationship to sex, our relationship to race, um, is often not so talked about and not so examined. So the idea for this meditation retreat was to have a safe place where um, we could explore these ideas and And actually, put words to um, topics that are sometimes taboo. Um, One of the things I was remembering was that um, when I, when I, when I used to work at a at a a tech company, my boss had a spreadsheet on his, um, you know, on his computer desktop. And the spreadsheet was, was the title of the document was, Who Makes What? <laughs> and so apparently, I guess HR, human resources, had sent, by mistake, <laughs> sent him a spreadsheet of what everyone in the company makes. <laughs> this is really taboo, right? This is really, um, you know, this is, it. it it felt so wrong. It was, you know, it's like to, you know, this is private. This is, you know, so so. there's something about money. And if, you know, not, needless to say, sex is um, uh, something else that is, um, you know, often private, often not talked about, and, and often, you know, um, a source of, of, of suffering. One of the... Um, One of the themes that I I noticed that was running through all of the sex, money, race, is something about the suffering of, the suffering that comes when we believe in the isolated mind, when we believe that who I am, is this private interior experience that no one can see no one can understand and it's a kind of separation right and so dharma practice <coughs> one of the ways that dharma practice is characterized is this idea of non-separation non-avoidance and non-separation so what is it to approach these topics with a with the attitude of non not not, uh, not separating myself and seeing, seeing the sort of the, the common um, the common suffering, the common beauty, uh, the common the, the potential that these have um, and, 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 and another theme, um, I would say maybe the overarching theme was that something about the relationship. Um, that it's not so much that we're gonna determine whether money is something that's good or bad, or sex is something that's good or bad, but um, is it possible to come into a relationship with money that is wise, that is healthy, that's beneficial for others? Is it possible to come into a relationship with sex and sexuality that is um, not, not merely something that is sort of tolerated in the tradition because we're not monks or nuns and okay, we're, you know. But is there something that's sacred, something that's beautiful? Um, in the same way with race, what is it to honor our... our Our differences, and find strength in our differences, and beauty in our differences. Um, So, um, I mean, there's a lot to say about each of these topics. Um, One of the um, what what we did, which was a little bit unusual on a meditation retreat, is that um, we had a group. Practice discussions. So often on a retreat, um, students will go come one to one and meet with a teacher for uh, to talk about the practice. But in this retreat, we met in groups, and um, I met with the the men, and um, my co-teacher Joanna Harper from uh, Against the Stream. She met with the women, and she had suggested that we do this, and I thought. Okay, you know it hadn't occurred to me, but it was so good. It was it was it was just a it was really wise. I think because I felt that there was something in the, in the dialogue with the men, especially the, the the groups were after the the talk on sex, and there was a great discussion. And I felt that there was a lot of um, candor and honesty and richness that came out. You know, in in that container, of of it being all men, and I think Joanna felt the same way. Um, one of the themes that um, that came out in the talk and also in the discussions was this idea about um, harm and non-harm, and especially becoming sensitive to. Um, with the topic of sex and and, and bringing a mindfulness and awareness to this hugely important, huge, you know, area of of sex and sexuality. Um, Reflecting on the ways that um, we might have been harmed by sexual energy and the ways that we might have harmed others. And there was something that I think many of us found very healing and very helpful to be able to talk about it, to be able to meditate with it and sit with it. Um, I gave the second talk, which was about money. Um, I won't be able to go into, into, into all, all of the topics here, but, um, you know, especially in this area of, of the world, of the country, um, I think it's very helpful to talk about um, ways of, you know, what is the place of money in my spiritual practice? You know, often in in, in a Dharma context, we talk a lot about, if if we do mention money, we talk about generosity, which is beautiful, which is, you know, which is a foundational practice and... um, uh, Clearly, an appropriate practice to talk about with money, Um, but money is a symbol and stands for so many things. And just so, just to be, just to explore what is my relationship with money. Um, For some of us, money is a symbol of safety, you know, security, or it might be a symbol of freedom, you know, if I have enough money. I can do what I want, and I can spend my time the way I want. Um, it might be a symbol, it might be represent power, you know clearly in our culture, money is connected to power it's connected to status it's connected to all you know all these things so just to look at what is my relationship with money what is what is money how does money function for me um, i I shared. Uh, some of my conditioning around money. One one of one of the conditioning is um, that I am sensitive to being sort of taken advantage of in the realm of money. And it's just you know something okay, I'm, I I don't know if it's true. I connect it to growing up in New York City and you know kind of having to hustle and fight with people and count your change and you know all this stuff and. But I just thought I've, everyone's like that around money, right? You know? And then was contrasting that with my wife who's from Japan and she's the young, I'm the oldest sibling, she's the youngest sibling, you know, there's all these things. And you know, so for her, you know, and maybe it's also with uh, something to do with Asian culture or something, but she's not comfortable with um, fighting with people about money or negotiating or bargaining or doing anything, which is, for me is like second nature, right? You know, So just to um, become aware of what is my conditioning around money? Um, what's the place of money in my spiritual life? Um, what are the ways that I have suffered around money? Um, some of us might have the suffering of not having enough money you know, um, some of us might have the suffering around having too much money. And, you know, money is something that can, that can tear families apart, um, uh, that, can, that can affect relationships. Um, so what are, what are the ways that, so what are the ways that I've suffered around money And then what what would it be for, um, what would it look like to use money to express um, my deepest values, my deepest aspirations? Well, is there a way that money itself, spending money, using money, is this mark of interconnectedness, right? You know, money is something that has to flow and what, it, what would it look like to really use money in a way that gives it a, a, gives it a sacredness, gives it um, a, you know, I think about sometimes uh, the different feeling that it has to, to, to pay something to be kind of begrudging, you know, okay, here, you know, versus this kind of really, you know, giving, giving it with, you know, our whole being, you know. Um, there's this I don't know I can't remember the word but there's this expression in Japanese and it means money that comes from my heart you know and like to and to use money in that way and what it just has a different feeling than to okay I gotta you know I gotta pay this cause I you know um, um so One of the um, so talked about sex, talked about money. Um, One of the moving stories about um, race, and just kind of bringing mindfulness and more awareness to issues of race. Um, uh, A a good friend, a close friend of mine, her husband. uh, who is African American, the tall, big guy, was on retreat at a retreat center, and um, you know, doing his walking practice, and someone came up to him, someone you know, staff at the retreat center, and kind of said, you know, excuse me, excuse me, um, you know, what, uh, who, who are you, you know, you know, he said, I'm, I'm. I'm a yogi, I'm, I'm doing, I'm on silent retreat. And then, oh, 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 okay, okay. Oh, so, you know, conversation. I walk And then, you know, to his credit, I think not with, not with, uh, you know, um, a lot of emotion, but he said, excuse me, you know, and, and the person turned around and he said, and he said, did you just profile me? You know the person's, and this is you know, and a sense into the pain of that, and um, you know, and this is at a this is at a Dharma center. This is not you know, um, and so, and I have no doubt that the person who who stopped this meditator, this yogi, is a good person. She's you know, and. Had had certain things in their mind and certain reasons, and you know, and there's always there's always a backstory and there's always a thing, um, but just to kind of sense into the pain of that, you know, and I think for um, many of us in the Western Dharma scene, there is an awakening going on now to how to, um, yeah how to include the, the the societal suffering that comes with racism, how to include this, the suffering that many of us bring into the practice in our own backgrounds to do with this. Um, so on this retreat, what we did in the middle of the talk on race is we all went downstairs to, if you know where IRC is, there's a meditation hall in the second floor and then there's a big community room big open space like this we all went downstairs to the lobby and there were two rings of chairs set up so an inner ring with chairs facing out and then an outer ring with the chairs facing in and we asked everyone to silently fill in these chairs so everyone sat down and closed their eyes everybody closed their eyes and then Um, we asked everyone to open their eyes and just take in the person who is sitting across from you. You have to take in that person was about 10 seconds and then close your eyes. And And then the people in the outer ring moved one seat to the right. Open their eyes again and take in the person. You know? And so we did this four or five times, and then silently we went back up to the Dharma hall, and we had some sharing about what did you notice when you opened your eyes and you took in the person, you know, across from you. And, you know, it's just this opportunity to see what are the immediate, before thinking, before, what's the immediate conditioning that we have when we take in another person? Um, there's this there's this uh, word implicit bias you know and so we take it we take in the person and we see their gender we see their race we see their you know their feeling their energy and just to notice what are, what's the immediate uh, perception that we have and it was great and there was some great sharing and um The other thing I was reflecting on was the is the uh, something I remembered during the last presidential election, and there was a little bit of a, a bio on Hillary's running mate, who was uh, Tim Kaine. And what I was very moved by is he said so he was the governor and the senator of a, of a southern state. And what I was very moved by is that in in hearing about his life and what he What he did as an attorney and this and that, he and his wife decided early on in their career that they were going to dedicate their life to um, racial reconciliation and healing. And that has been sort of like their touchstone. And in what he did, in his career, and his things, this was what his life was, what he wanted his life to be about. And I was just so moved by that. And I thought, what, you know, um, what, how? It doesn't get any better than that, you know, to really use one's skills, one particular skills, and um, whatever power that he had in society towards that. And I just thought it was so beautiful. So, um... So to let, you know, so to let our container of practice grow and widen and to be able to include, you know, even these areas, which can often be confusing, can often be difficult, sex and sexuality, race, money, um, that there's tremendous value in bringing mindfulness to them. And in, in sort of asking the question, what I wrote here is, what am I not seeing? you know, what am, I, what am I missing in my relationship to this? I, I discovered a lot of things in just studying these topics and just to teach about them. Wow, you know, I didn't realize this certain areas of holding, of resistance, of just delusion of these topics. So what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Um, part of the men sharing was having a greater appreciation of impact, you know, of, um, especially in the realm of gender and sex, that um, even something like eye contact can be uh, can have a strong impact on someone. And I mean, this is a little bit in the context of a meditation retreat, where the request is not to make eye contact with others, and then to and just to and just to feel wow. Um, What's the impact as a man to look in a certain way, and and you know just just to just becoming sensitive about these things? Um, I think, I guess the way I'd like to end and and what what I feel is for for myself, sort of the ultimate way through these, is to really. Um, remember and appreciate something about our interconnectedness. You know, and this is really one of the the Dharma truths. You know, we talk about emptiness, we talk about impermanence, non-self. It's really about interconnectedness and this uh, seeing through the delusion of separateness that does it really make sense to uh, collect all this money for myself, and you know, um, you have to have somewhere to spend it, right? You know, you, have, you know, so it doesn't mean anything if it's not shared, if it's not, if it's not. Um, yeah, so something about seeing through the delusion of separateness. Um, one of one of my teachers, um, Sojourn Mel Weitzman, some of you might know who's the abbot of the Berkeley Zen Center, in a a ceremony he was asked, you know, in in the Zen tradition, it's common to have these ceremonies where you go up to the teacher and make a public question. And so the question that the student asked was, um, how can I help others? Good question, nice question, beautiful question. How can I help others? And Mel said, "Um, forget about others, help yourself. (laughs) So, okay. Uh And so he took the bait and he said, how can I help myself? (laughs) Take care of others. (laughs) (laughs) And this idea of in helping others, I am helping myself. And in taking care of myself, that helps everyone. Um, So in these areas of money, in these areas of sex, of race, what is it to take care of others? What is it to imbue these with a sense of integrity, uh, generosity, kindness? a lot of patience, patience for ourselves and the mistakes we're going to make in these areas. Um, And so I I wanted to end with this idea of the bodhisattva. The bodhisattva's uh, ideal is this idea of that I'm not practicing just for myself and my own happiness, my own liberation, my own well-being. But... um, my, my goal is to awaken with all beings. And um, so the bodhisattva intention is often expressed as to postpone my own final enlightenment until all beings are awakened and all beings are included. And um, there is a, a nice poem, of course, expression of this by uh, Dogen, who was... Uh, one of, the, one of the great uh, figures in, in Japanese Buddhist history. And so this was Dogen's Bodhisattva vow. It says Awake or asleep in a grass hut, what I pray for is to bring others across before myself. Awake or asleep in a grass hut. You know, sometimes we'll be awake. We hope we'll be awake. Uh, sometimes we'll be asleep, but something about this intention doesn't depend so much on whether am I awake, whether am I deluded or not. Awake or asleep, in a grass hut, what I pray for is to bring others across before myself. So, I as we cross these waters of 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 money and sex and race and all kinds of difficult things. Um, uh, I see the, the raft that gets us across is mindfulness, is our, is our care, our kindness, our compassion, and um, that, these, that these, something in these, to unlock the potential for goodness in these areas. Unlock the, uh, the ennobling uh, potential of money. The ennobling potential of sex. And um, yeah, stay close to our hearts. So, thank you very much.